All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School here. A brand new week, and yet still in First Chronicles, a historical book. You know, we've been in the First Chronicles for quite a while. We're literally in Lesson 96, First Chronicles 17 and 18. What's interesting about First Chronicles 17, it's going to feel like a complete repeat of Second Samuel 7. I mean, almost verbatim. And yet we are talking through, should I teach through 1 Chronicles 18 instead of 1 Chronicles 17? Just, just because we've, we've taught through this, we emphasize this, because remember, our phrase for today and our phrase for 1 Chronicles, it's the son of David. And so you're kind of like, well, if that's our theme, do we really need to reiterate? Yes. Honestly, you guys, this chapter, 2 Samuel 7, like it, it really is in so many respects, and I say this out of respect to the rest of the text in the Old Testament, like this is kind of some of the key chapters of the whole Old Testament. And I feel like we need to understand, now think about this, the purpose of Revive School is to, to, to paint a picture. It's why we have all these little pictures, a complete portrait of the coming Messiah. So where do we see the Messiah in Genesis? Where do we see the Messiah in Deuteronomy? Where do we see the Messiah, right, in Judges? Well, where do you see it in 2 Samuel? Remember, 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, they're like buddies, they're partners. They, they go parallel together. They're going to almost repeat so many different things. So I want us to say, you know what, Kyle, I, I know we've heard this before, but let's go deeper. Let's look at this from maybe a different perspective today. And so in 1 Chronicles 17, 1, we're going to start to unpack again. Yes, it's called the Davidic Covenant. Okay, when I say the Davidic Covenant, Kevin, what do you, when you think of the Davidic Covenant, which, what do you think of? Well, I kind of think of, one, the eternal throne from Second Samuel that was our theme. But basically, it's a promise to David that his lineage is going to go on and, in fact, come to Christ will come through it. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How it's, it's going to come through David. Crazy enough, uh, it even starts in Genesis 3 with the seed. How we know that there's going to be an answer to this sin issue. Abraham, guess what it says? It's going to come. There's going to be multiple, right? That's going to come. And in, in this process, David shows up. And then in David, it points to, to the Messiah. So the Davidic covenant. So in verse 1, uh, here's what you're going to see. In fact, I, I love what there's a person named, Sean, this will make, make me feel smart around you today. Wolfgang Roth. He's a good cook. Yes, good cook and a good musician probably. Uh, it says that he said this, David completed what Joshua had begun, taking possession of Canaan. Like it, it, it's a constant fulfillment of what was said before. That's what we're going to constantly be hearing. So in verse one, it says, when David had settled into his palace, he said to Nathan, the prophet, you know, think about this. When David just, ah, feels good to sit here. Like, that's the process, right? He's, he's comfortable. And then he all of a sudden he goes, look, I'm living in a cedar house, which would imply, just so you know, wealthiness. Like, poor people would not be having cedar homes. While the Ark of the Lord's Covenant is under tent curtains. And so I, I got this incredible house, this, this mansion here, incredible cedar house, and God is living in a tent. Like, this is what he's sounding out to his friend and his advisor, a prophet named Nathan. Now, Sean, if you would, would you go to Psalm 132, verse 1? Let's see how well he types here. This is going to be good. Ah, it's good, Sean. Lord, remember David. 
and all the hardships he endured. Verse two, it says, and how he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. So this is David, right? I will not enter my house or get into my bed. Verse four, I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber. And it closes in verse five until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. And so it, it just fell off. You know, like, wouldn't it be weird if you're if you're sleeping in your home and you knew your, let's just say your earthly father was literally just sleeping outside in a tent, like every night. That kind of bother you after a while. You'd be like, hey, dad, you want to you come on into the house? I mean, in some regards, that's the perspective. But David has this with God. Like, God, why are you staying in a tent and I'm staying here in a, in a cedar house? And so here's what Nathan said. And we, we talked about this in 2 Samuel, but Nathan said, do all that is on your heart for God is with you. Now, as a prophet, as a mighty man of God, when somebody asks you for counsel, always remember to be slow to speak when you release a prophetic word. Always. And I think that's one of the things we can learn from Nathan. Because right away, Nathan instantly just says, oh yeah, go do what God's laying on your heart. But then that night, that lo- the Lord came to Nathan to correct his word. And so it was the prophet was, he was, he was quick to speak rather than quick to listen. In fact, in James 1, 9, if you'll go there, Sean, when Nathan is releasing a word, please have this understanding. 119, sorry. Can you go to 119? James 119. When you're releasing this word, you want to have this understanding. Like, look, my dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. So the, the mentality is like when we have something, we want to naturally just spit it out. Nathan, I mean, he's, he's a man of God. He's listening to the Lord. But for some reason at that moment, he just went with his gut rather than saying, God, what, what do you want me to say about you not living uh, in a tent? I mean, we're talking about a, a radical question here. And Nathan just flippantly releases a word. And can I, can I just tell you in, in prophecy, sometimes this is what gets us in trouble in America today is you have these prophets that are just releasing these words. And, and sometimes you have to wonder, did you really inquire of the Lord? Did you really ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? And then that's why people don't begin to trust these words. Now, David had no reason to doubt Nathan's word because they had an incredible friendship. They had a great relationship. They were very, very close. And so Nathan just releases this. But I love this in verse three. A man of God is always, uh, always open to the Lord correcting him. So he says, but that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan in verse four. Go to David, my servant, and say, this is what the Lord says. (laughs) And you have to wonder if you're Nathan. So you're saying, God, I I got it wrong. that's, That's what Nathan has to actually come to terms with. That's what I love about how the son of David's word came about. You know what it came about? It came about a man having a prophetic word, and he had to humble himself and say, you know what? I need you to do it differently. That's an incredible picture, you guys, of humility. And when I think about leadership, that's the kind of leadership I want to follow. That's the kind of leadership I want to be under when people say, you know, I I messed up. I I need to correct this because this is what the Lord showed me. And so Nathan, this is what he gets a download from the Lord. And here's what he says. I want you to go to David, my servant, and say this. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. From the time I brought Israel out of Egypt until today, I love this. God's giving Nathan a timeline. Hey, by the way, since I've been out of Egypt until today, I haven't ever lived in a house. Instead, I moved from tent to tent and from tabernacle to tabernacle. It's a cool picture. I mean, think about this before we move on. You know, when we talk about moves of God, like it is literally a move of God. Because think about this. He went from the tabernacle meeting to the, to the Mosaic tabernacle, and then eventually to David's tabernacle, which we actually will talk about even later on this week in First Chronicles. Like, God is continually moving, 
but never once has, have I ever have I ever said I had to live in a house. So, so David, why are you saying you have to build this? In verse 6, the scripture continues on. It says, In all of my travels throughout Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone, uh, even one of the judges of Israel? Like, hey, do you think I should move in? He says, I haven't even had one word or one discussion about this, whom I've commanded to shepherd my people, asking. So a lot of times, remember, there's this parallel, right, of, uh, of kings are also serving as shepherds, judges serving as, sh- as shepherds. I haven't even asked them, hey, is, is this how this should look like? Now think about this. One person wrote, God is truly living as a nomad. What does Jesus do in the New Testament? He lives as, as a Bedouin. He lives as a guy who doesn't have a temporary home. In, in some way, God, I think, is modeling to us, even in understanding the son of David, like, you guys, don't think of me as this way and this way only. You can't put me, and we've always said this at Time Revive, you can't put God in a box. And I'm not saying David's trying to do that. I think David is honestly trying to honor God. I really believe that. But I, I think it's a cool it's a cool perspective to think, man, God was never in one place. And yet what we do as Christians is it's almost, it's a weird concept. We want to put God in one place. It's almost like we want to have that temple mentality again. Oh, I got God on church on Sundays. I like that because I know how I have to be. I know the role I have to play. But when God is constantly on the move and God is constantly present everywhere I go, I might have to act like that. And so I just think here you have the Lord just saying, guys, I've never asked to be put in a box, God says. Jesus clearly said, if you want to follow me, you don't even know where my house is going to be. You don't even have a guarantee that you're going to put your head on a pillow. Scripture has, as it continues on here, it says in verse 7, right? This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture, he's talking to David here, and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. So he's revealing that Psalm 78, 70 through 72, he's, he's saying to him, hey, by the way, I realize I pulled you from being a shepherd of taking care of sheep. Like, I get it. I get that you care for my people. Now I put you in a position over as a king. Now, here's the craziest thing, you guys. The way that this word is coming is because Nathan has humbled himself to receive a word that he misspoke. That's huge, you guys. Humility is and can lead to revival. Let's continue on in First Chronicles uh, 17, verse 8. And this is what he just says. He says, I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. And it continues on in verse 9. Scripture just says, I will establish a place for my people, Israel, and plant them so that they may live and not be disturbed again. And what, what I love about this is God is always implying, you guys, I'm directing your steps. Just trust me. Because then he says, evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they formerly have. And it continues on ever since in verse 10, the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. Like God is just clearly just saying, guys, I'm in control. I'm going to, and I love in verse nine, I'm going to give you this land. Do you trust me that I'm going to give you this land? You know, in Joshua, right? He says every time, if we're going to go from Joshua here into this next scenario of David, remember Joshua says, uh, the Lord says to Joshua, I'm going to give you every place you put your foot. Like everywhere you step, I'm going to give that to you. And now, David, you're going to receive all of that. Like this is the process. So I get what you're saying, David. I understand this process that you're implying. But trust me. Furthermore, I'm going to declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. Keep going here in verse 11. When your time comes to be with your fathers. Now look at this. Okay, did you catch this in verse 10? A house will be built. Okay, 
But when your time comes to be with your fathers, that means like when it's your time to die, I will raise up after you, your descendant, one who is of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. All right. So in this process of releasing a word, there's a couple of things. I mean, man, there's a lot of things in this word. One of them, though, is is that God's going to raise up a son. This son, Sean, this is kind of a softball. Who's this son? Jesus. It's not Jesus. It is. Kevin, we help him. Solomon. Thank you. It's Solomon. Uh, go, to first, go to First Chronicles 22, uh, verses 6 through 10. Uh, then he summoned his son Solomon and instructed him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Verse 7, it continues on. My son, David said to him, it was in my heart to build a house for the, the name of Yahweh my God. Verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and waged great wars. You're not to build a house for my name because you have shed so much blood on the ground before me. So you want to know why David can't build the house? It says right here, because David, you've done too much bad stuff. But the word of the Lord came to me though, right? And he says, that's the reason. But a son is going to be born to you and he'll be a man of rest. And I'll give him rest from all of his surrounding enemies for his name will be Solomon. And I'll give him peace and a quiet to Israel during his reign. And it closes out in verse 10. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now that language in First Chronicles 22 is what you're going to hear back in First Chronicles 17. So in the word that Nathan receives, and Kevin, who's Nathan supposed to give this word to? David. David. He has been told, yes, your son Solomon's going to uh, build this. What's interesting is, is what did, what did uh, Nathan originally tell David? Do whatever your heart desires. Do whatever your heart desires. So now Nathan has to come back to state David and say, sorry, your son's going to do this. All right, if we can, let's continue on. So not only are you going to have a son, right? You're going to establish his kingdom. But now in verse 12, it says, he will build a house for me. I know we just talked about this, but I want to break up uh, this, this, this text specifically. A house could also mean dynasty. Okay, he's going to have a dynasty for me. He's going to build a dynasty for me and I will establish his throne forever. So here you have one more other component here. And Kevin, we talked about this in Second Samuel. That was our that was our, our, our phrase. So in Second Samuel, all the way over here, eternal throne was our phrase. And the eternal throne, yes, comes through our phrase here, the son of David. What I love about the son of David is, and if you really think about this, you guys, that phrase, the son of David, like, that originally wouldn't have happened if Nathan said his word the way he wanted it to happen. Like, I'm not saying Solomon wouldn't have come about. I'm not saying Solomon wouldn't have been an incredible person. But what I'm saying is if, if it was up to David, David was going to be the one that was going to be building the house. And so it's kind of cool that the son of David phrase came in as a correction because he spoke the wrong first. Uh, he spoke the prophetic word wrong the first time. Anyway, I, I, I just, sometimes we just need to slow down in what we hear from the Lord and what we release for the Lord. Because as we release it from the Lord, that could radically impact David's life, somebody's life. And, and you have to wonder, maybe that's what would have happened with, with Nathan if he didn't correct it. You know, hey, I'm going to have you build this. And David could have kept trying and trying and trying. And then I, I just think there's so much value here. And so here you have, by the way, a son's going to come in. He's going to build a house. And, and I love this. And it says in verse 12, He's going to build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. 
So if you would, would you go to 2 Samuel, uh, Samuel 7, verse 16. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. So here you have 1 Chronicles 17, 12. And then you have 2 Samuel 7, 16. You might as well be reading the same verse. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. It's an awesome picture. But I am convinced that if the Lord wants us to understand this, He's going to repeat it. And so the son of David, this picture of a son that's going to take over, he's going to establish a throne, a, a house, and he's, he's going to have an eternal throne. Like, guys, this is really important. In 1 Chronicles 17, verse 13, look what the scripture says. I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. I'll not take away my faithful love from him as I took it, away, as I took it from the one who was before you. What, what's he talking about right there? King Saul. King Saul. He pulled this away and said, nope, it's gone. No, this time it's going to last Forever. There's no more failures in the King Saul mentality. And, and here's what I love about this. It says, I will not take away my faithful love from him. That means forever. Like slow down here on this. You guys, this is radical. So in the lineage of David, it's going to always point to the coming king. And that coming king is the son of David. That coming king is the king of kings himself. It's Jesus. You know, eight, uh, seven times, seven times this Davidic covenant. I want to write this up here. I know because we already wrote Son of David. Seven times the Davidic covenant is written about in First and Second Chronicles. Okay, we don't need to go there, Sean, but I just want to kind of give you a picture. In First Chronicles 17, God spoke to Nathan. Nathan spoke to David. That would be one. In First Chronicles 22, then David speaks to Solomon. And it's all about the Davidic covenant. Okay, in First Chronicles 28, David again speaks to Solomon. In Second uh, Chronicles 6, our number four reference is now Solomon is, is referencing and speaking into the nation. And then in Second Chronicles 7, God speaks to Solomon. Every time, you guys, it's about the Davidic covenant. And then, interesting enough, in Second Chronicles 13, Abijah into Jeroboam. Here's where it's going to get interesting. And then in Second Chronicles 21, the Chronicles commentary about the Davidic covenant. So in the Chronicles, you already see the establishment of the Davidic covenant. And it's just a cool picture to me about how when God releases a word, if it's of Him, it will stick. We're going to walk through a little bit more about how this was fulfilled through Christ. We're going to walk through that at the very end here today. But I want you to see that seven times, you guys, in Chronicles, one and two, like this is referenced. Just in Chronicles, let alone all of the word of God. And so, it continues on. If you go back to First Chronicles 17, verse 14, here's what he says. He says, I will appoint him, correct, over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. So in verse 15 of First Chronicles 17, it just says this. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. <laughs> hey, hey, David, uh, I got a new word for you. No, man, I, I got my blueprints already. You know, like I'm already starting. Like that's the mentality that, you know, he, he has. Verse 16, then King David, after he hears this, he sat in the Lord's presence and he said, who am I, Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Like there is, and I love what Wearsby says, this becomes a thanksgiving, right? For present favor. Like God, oh, who am I to receive this ridiculous insight that you just you just gave me, and, and look what it says. And what is my house that you brought me this far? Look in verse 17. This was a little thing to you, God, for you have spoken about your servant's house. Here it is. 
in the distant future. That is such a radical statement, you guys. You've spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. You regard me as a man of distinction. You are revealing yourself to me, Lord God. What more can, can David say to you? This is kind of weird now. He's talking like Kevin, I feel like. Kevin's here. <laughs> you know, like he's going, what more can, would David say to you for honoring your servant? He's talking about himself. It's third person, Kevin. It's a little different. You know your servant. And then he continues on in verse 19. Lord, you have done all of this greatness making known all of these great promises because of your servant and according to your will. Like this is in all of alignment. These promises, you guys, they only come from God. And so as Nathan drops a prophetic word, David receives this as a promise from God. And he says, this is because it's, uh, it's, it's according to your will. What a powerful picture in verse 20. He says this, Lord, there is no one like you and there's no God beside you as, as we have all heard confirms. And so what you're now saying is, is that David shifts from this Thanksgiving, as weird as he says, for present favor to now he's giving praise for what God has done in the past. There's no God beside you. We've all heard this. We've all, you confirm in verse 21. And who is like your people, Israel? You came to one nation on earth to redeem a people for yourself to make a name for yourself through great and awesome works by driving out nations before your people, you redeem from Egypt. Verse 22, you made your people Israel your own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. In verse 23, he then shifts from the present and, and what we would say the past. And now he begins to make a petition for the future fulfillment of God's purposes. So now, God, I need you to see this come to fruition. So he said, let the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and his house be confirmed forever and do as your promise. In his mind, he's saying, God, establish this through my son. Establish this house. Establish this throne. God, you do this. When you receive a prophetic word, you guys, I'm going to talk about this. Then you got to pray through it. Pray through it that, God, if this is of you, you make this happen, not me. And in verse 24, let your name be confirmed and magnified forever. In the saying, Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel is God over Israel. May the house of your servant David be established before you. Scripture then says, since you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a him a house, your servant has found courage to pray in your presence. So once David heard the word, he went to prayer. He committed this to the Lord. And Lord, you indeed are God and you have promised this good thing to your servant. And finally, in verse 27, so now you've been pleased to bless your servant's house that it may continue before you forever. For you, Lord, have blessed it and it is blessed forever. You know, this is a, it's a pretty powerful picture. I mean, you think about this. I love what Nelson says. The line of the house of David, it will always be in the royal line. The right to rule will always be in David's offspring. The right to a literal earthly kingdom will never be taken from, from David's posterity. And just because they're going to mess up, just because there's something they might do wrong, this promise will last forever. It is not conditional based on us. So here's what I want to do. When you hear a word, okay, when you've been released a word, how do you, how do you receive a word? How can we learn from David exactly what, what he just did? Well, first of all, Okay, I'm going to write down some of these things. And I love, a I got this from a transforming word. And I, I kind of gone through the filter for me of how does this match up. And first of all, I want you to be able to, if somebody has a word for you, I want you to record it. 
if possible, and somebody says, hey, I have a word. So Nathan comes back to you and says, hey, I've been praying and the Spirit of God is asking me to speak into your life. Just, hey, do you mind if I record this? Okay, that's one way to, to process this. And then you know what I want you to do? I want you to listen to it. Okay? If you get a prophetic word, now when we're talking about prophetic words today, we're not talking about new scripture. We're not talking about uh, things that are equal to here. I'm, I'm talking about first, if you'll go there, Sean, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says this, but the person who prophesies speaks to, to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. Somebody says, hey, Sean, I have a prophetic word for you. Be like, hey, can I just turn on my phone and can I, can I record this? You could say, well, why? Because it's so helpful to go back to this. So then you can listen to this. And then here's what you want to do. And this is what David is doing, you guys. Ask God what he meant. God, what do you mean by this prophetic word? How is it edify? How is it encouraging? How is it comforting? And then here's, here's what you have to do, though. You have to actually be open to it. You got to be open to this word that's coming. And then you just simply just say, what is our part, God? And what's your part? Because what you learned was, is David originally wanted to build the house. But God says, no, 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 if that's not your part. Your part is for your son to do this. Your job is to help design this, to help unfold this, but guess who's going to build it, Kevin? Not you. Not us. So you have to ask the Lord in this prophetic picture, what is our part and what is, what is God's part? And then here it is. This is the key, you guys. And this is where a lot of people forget. You have to test this. Test this. Does this align with Scripture? Like, test the prophetic word. Does it align with Scripture? And you know that in alignment with Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, like 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about this picture of why do we have to test things with Scripture? Well, just so you know, um, this is a, a really powerful picture for me because it says, we're getting there, all Scripture is inspired by God, thanks, and it's profitable. So test this. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So where do we get this going and testing with Scripture? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, specifically verse 19 and 20. It says, don't stifle the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. And then it says in verse 20, don't despise prophecies. So you've got to be open to what the spirit of God is saying into your life. And you have to be open, yes, to what a prophetic word is. Now look what it says. But test in verse 21, but test all things. So our job is test the word of God that came into our life. And say, does it align with scripture? And, and then this is kind of cool to me. In this process, it says, hold on to what is good and not what, not what is evil. Hold on to what is good. And where I go with this, you guys, is that in, in Philippians 4, 8, you guys, we need to keep our eyes on the things that are right, the things that are honorable, the things that are true. Like this is the picture that we're after. But all of it, you guys, has to be in alignment with scripture. David he needed to, yes, pray through this, give this to the Lord, dwell on these things. And you want to know how we know that David's word was accurate? Because Jesus Christ, Kevin, uh, Sean, can you go to Luke 1, 32, 33? We know that in Luke 1, 32 through 33, it says this, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. We know that Christ... It continues on in verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. We know that Jesus is called the son of David. It's an awesome picture. And oh, by the way, we know 
that because of King Jesus, you can receive spiritual blessings. After spiritual blessings, uh, what Jesus will do is, is He promises that, that there is a future kingdom that's coming through Him in Isaiah 9. And then we also know that what the throne is coming through Christ as found in Luke 1, 26. Because of time, we're not going to read these verses, but you want to know what's crazy? All of these things align with what David heard in 1 Chronicles 17 and 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus becomes the fulfillment of David's prophetic word. So when you hear it, be able to receive it, but be able to receive it in such a way that it always goes back to him. All right, guys, this is uh, the son of David, 1 Chronicles 17. Hopefully you've been encouraged in this. I love this text. There's so much here. Bottom line, son of David is fulfilled through the life of Christ. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. 